Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in Central Illinois, head to isuencounter.org or download our student app to learn about all that's happening here. Thanks for listening. Good evening, my friends. Um, All right, that's a lot. That's a lot, you guys. Um, <laughs> welcome back. And, uh, and to those of you who are new, a huge welcome to you as well. And I, I know it takes some courage to literally take some bravery, headed into a new space, to walk into a room with people you don't know, to come to events with people you don't know. Um, and tonight, I mean, th- there's a piece of what we're talking about that's, that is exactly that, of what it means to take a risk. This is a great time of year to lean in. I just, especially if you're new, can I just give you this one piece of wisdom? You, uh, you may assume, because there are a lot of unfamiliar faces to you here, that you're sitting next to somebody who, uh, who's like been here for a long time and has tons of friends and is very connected. Don't assume that. I have met so many people who are like, yeah, I came, I came one time, but I was sitting next to a person and... Uh, they didn't really talk to me all that much. And so I, I didn't really connect with anybody the first night. And then they find out two weeks later, that person was also new sitting there thinking, I wish somebody would connect with me. So I'm just giving you permission to kind of break out of your shell, take those risks, get to know people, shake a hand, ask what your major is. Some of the, I know that those questions, those small talk questions are hard to get past, but we have to do that to, to start to get to know each other, to develop relationships. So let me give you a little orientation to encounter, Okay. If you didn't catch it right at first here, we believe with all our hearts that the God of the universe is real, that he is involved with us, that he cares about us, that he is, he is forgiving us and redeeming us. That's a part of the Christian life. So if you'll notice, the culture here isn't uh, cold and it's not religious. I use that word specifically. Because as a pastor, sometimes, you know, that's like question number two. People will, in conversation, they'll be like, hey, who are you? And I'll say, I'm Ben. And they say, what do you do? And then I say, I have to say, because it's true, I'm a pastor. And I'm not embarrassed of that at all. It's just super annoying what comes after that, okay? Because usually it's like, I'm sorry, I was cussing so much earlier. And it's like, it, it really, we don't have to go there. It's okay. Or... Or the follow-up is like, oh, I have a nephew who's very religious. You guys should talk. And it's like, oh, my goodness, no. I don't, I don't even know what that means, okay? <laughs> but I, I don't think of myself as religious because when I apply that title, it has to do with maintaining certain structures or rules or sets or religious organizational paradigms that you guys, it, it's, not, it's not who I am. I'm a Jesus guy. I have been redeemed by the Savior of the world who who saves me. I stand up in front of you tonight as a sinner who has been rescued by the grace of Jesus Christ. I believe that truth is the most healing thing we have to hold on to. That's what I preach. It's what you'll hear. It's what we grab from the word. And so, again, I'm not interested in just maintaining religious structures. We believe that when we sing those songs tonight, there's an intimacy because we're singing to a real person, that God is here with us in the room, and he wants to transform your life. He he, well, I'll get there. That's, that's too much into the sermon. Next week, um, I don't want to just, just for sake of time tonight, and we'll have new people coming next week too. And so I'll introduce the staff and some other stuff next week. But there is a staff person I wanted to introduce you to tonight specifically um, because this particular guy is fairly new to our staff, okay? This, 
This is Jude Charlie Lopez, who, so Phil and Katie, if you were around years prior, you know Phil. Phil and Katie had a baby, and he is four days old? Four days? Five days? Yeah. So hopefully sometime soon, you won't see Phil for a couple of weeks because he's going to be with his family, of course, but hopefully you'll get to meet Jude in the coming weeks. So also, because you've heard us talk about, maybe you've been at at an event at our new building too, Um, you'll hear us call it like the 210 or 210 or 210 Mulberry or some variation of 210. Uh, The thing you hopefully won't hear us call it is the Campus House, which is our dearly beloved and departed building, which sat north of the bone. Um, But God has been so cool, you guys, and given us space that sits just in the shadow of Manchester. And I can't wait to see how he uses it this year. So that's, that's part of your encounter orientation. Let me see what else I got in my notes here. Um, part of what we do every week that I just, I just want to tell you up front, we want to create a space in this room where it is easy for you to connect with the Lord and it is easy for you to learn from the word. Whether you have been around church your whole life and you are super familiar with the Bible or you have no experience at all and you are super unfamiliar with the Bible. Like, I teach out of this every week. These are not TED Talks that I'm giving you. It is not just my political opinions. I've got great ones, okay? But I I don't just come on Tuesday nights to present those to you. As a matter of fact, I try to steer as far away from that as I can. I believe the written word points us to the living word. It's not just about the book. It's about the author who sits behind the book. And this thing is, is surgical. It's alive and active. And so we come together every week. Again, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, we will prepare for you. You will walk into a room where, where it will be prepared for you as a place where you can worship and connect with the Lord and learn from his word every week. Um, that's our intention. And the other thing I want to say right on the front end, too, is there are a lot of other ministries on campus. Um, that, you know, Saltco and Cornerstone and InterVarsity and Crew and Wittenberg Lutheran and the Newman Catholic Center and Merge. I mean, it's like, there's like 15 uh, that have been here for years and years and years and years and several others too. And I just want you to hear from me. Those are not our competition. All right. If the, the church of Jesus Christ is one, he has one church and we meet as a staff, the other campus ministries and our staff too, every month to pray for you guys and to pray for the campus. There's unity within the campus ministries that are here, okay? And so I don't want you to feel like there's a weirdness there. I know some of you on the front end of the year are like, well, I'm going to go to a handful and check them out and see. Awesome. Here's my request. Pick one. It doesn't have to be us. Like, I kind of like us, but it doesn't have to be us, all right? But you need community. You really do. And that's going to be hard if you get involved in five different places, and so if crew is your place, awesome. If, if you come to me in November and you say, hey, man, I'm having the best experience. I go to seven campus ministries every week. I'm gonna, I will say to you, please stop. Please stop. For your own sake, please stop. You need authentic community. And you can't do that with a different set of people every night of the week. So prayerfully for you, I would just put that out there for you as well. I love that you're here. I love that you're looking. Dive in and dive in with both feet somewhere. Let me push you a little bit in that. So this whole semester, if I don't run out of breath, um, this whole semester, Turning Points is the name of the series that we're going to be in. That is certainly where we're at as a ministry, but it's where you're at too. And Turning Points are just these crucial moments in your life. When you look back at them, you say, oh, that one mattered. Saying yes to that thing mattered or saying no to that thing mattered a lot. And we're going to be looking, we're going to be all over scripture because we're going to be looking at different moments 
in, usually in a person's life, but sometimes in a group of people's lives, where there was an invitation given that made all the difference in the world. And so we'll be walking through scripture, some Old Testament, some New Testament, looking at these turning points, okay? Turning points almost always begin with an invitation, almost always. And so it means, for example, something brought you here tonight. There was an invitation somehow, somewhere, that used to, whether it was written on a whiteboard or whether it was a social media ad or whether it was someone else who was like, hey, you should come with me in this. I got a text today from a guy named Brady. He's a dear friend, a guy uh, who was you know, sitting in your seats in Cape and Auditorium 15 years ago. He graduated like 08, maybe 09, something like that. He texted me today and said, hey, how's Welcome Week going? I said, it's, it's going really well. Like, it's been crazy. And so we were just talking back and forth. He's a teacher, has been a teacher forever at Normal West. And he, uh, he said, you know, do you know how I came to encounter? And I was like, no, because his life was transformed by a lot of his friends and stuff in, in our ministry years ago. And he said, my friend Dave put together a list of all of the places on campus that were giving free food the first week so that we wouldn't have to pay for a meal. That's what he did. And he showed me that list and he's like, free meals for a week. And I was like, I'm in. And he's like, and somehow my life was changed, you know? I mean, like, it's where he met his wife. It's where he met a ton of the people that he stood up with in his wedding. It's the people who he's still in community with today, 15 years later. There was an invitation there. When I went to Eastern as a junior, like campus ministry changed my life, you guys. I was hungry and I wanted to grow. I went to Eastern and I knew nobody. I mean, I transferred in there as a junior knowing no one. And I was sitting in my dorm room, and that was back in the days where they had like a landline in your dorm room, like a hotel phone. That's what it was like. And it rang, which was like, nobody knows I'm here except my parents. And I pick up the phone, and there's this girl on the other end of the line, and she said, hey, is this Ben? And I was like, yes. Like, who is this? And she said, well, you don't know me, but um, I'm, my brother is a guy that you waited tables with last summer, and uh, he said you were coming to Eastern, and I knew that you were living in this dorm, so I called the front desk, and they put me through to you, and I just wanted to, like, my boyfriend and I are going to a campus ministry thing tonight. Do you want to come with us? We'll meet you in the, the lobby of your dorm if you want to come. It's like, yeah, I'll come. And so I went to that thing. That invitation transformed my life. Seriously, I got involved in that space. It's where I met some of the people that became, like, again, that week I met the guy who would be the best man in my wedding. That invitation of saying yes in that moment mattered a lot. It doesn't always go that direction, though, you guys. Let me give you another one. Because I remember being invited. This is super late high school, I think. Maybe my senior year of high school. There was a group of friends uh, who said, Hey, we, we knew this brother and sister really well. They were part of our friend group. And they said, hey, do you want to go TP their parents' house on this particular night? You city people know what that is, right? TPing. Everybody knows what TPing is. It's, where you, you, it's basically like socially acceptable vandalism, basically. <laughs> you just take rolls of toilet paper and you throw it in their trees and you throw them all over their house. And it just, I mean, like it makes a mess. It makes an absolute mess. That's a blast to do and terrible to clean up, and you shouldn't ever do it. But that's what, that's what we did. So I got this invitation. Hey, you want to come TP their house? Like, yeah, that sounds fun. And we destroyed that property. I mean, it was like a winter wonderland when we were done, okay? And the next day, I, I don't even remember where I was, but I remember that I was eavesdropping. So I heard somebody say, hey, do you know what happened to so-and-so's house last night? And it was the house we TP'd. Um, and so immediately I'm like, 
just listening, you know, trying to get in on that conversation. Or That wasn't the way they said it. They said, do you know what happened to so-and-so last night? And so that's what I was listening to. And then they said, yeah, uh, her grandma died. And I was like, what? Yeah. And so they're, and they're having this conversation. And they're like, yeah. And, and that, like earlier that night, so, like a group of people just absolutely teepeed their house like crazy. And so like the whole family is over there to grieve, but they don't have time to clean up. They don't know what. And I am like melting, you guys. I wish like if I could go back in a time machine and the moment that that invitation was given to me, just pull myself aside and be like, don't. <laughs> don't. By the way, I never owned up to that, okay? Ever. Like, they never knew who did that. Because that entire group, we were horrified at ourselves for that, okay? So, the c- confession. This is real. We can be safe. We, it's a safe space. Um, so, I would love, and some of you, it's like you can gasp all you want, but you have dating relationships where if you could go back in time and grab yourself and be like, don't, okay? Just don't. The moment that invitation is given, you could go, you just be like, no, no, you're not doing that. Okay. Invitations tend to work that way. And it matters a lot what you say yes to and what you say no to. You know them. I got a call in, in when I, again, back to my college days, I got a call from a girl who said, Hey, do you want to go on a study? You want to go out and get ice cream and go like to study with me? And I knew what those words meant. Okay. That's like getting coffee today. Right. So it's not just a random request. And, and I gave her a rain check, okay? If I could go back, we did end up going out. I did marry her. We had six kids. It worked out, you guys. We're fine, okay? We're fine. Yeah. But I would love to go back to myself in this and be like, hey, say yes faster. Really, say yes faster. This is a good one. This is a good one. Don't miss out on this yes. I got a phone call. I was planning. I studied to do English. Uh, I was going to be a high school English teacher, all right? Did my student teaching, did all of that. Uh, worked in the business world for a couple of years, and then I got a phone call from my old campus minister who said, would you consider doing campus ministry? That had never crossed my mind. Invitation given. And man, did Joe and I struggle with that decision for a while. I'd love to go back in time and be like, say been doing it 26 years now. I absolutely love it. It has brought so much change into my world and forced me to follow Jesus and challenged me to follow Jesus in new ways all the time. Those are just some crucial turning points for me. And you know yours. You know your turning points too. And you will have some this year, without a doubt. And I want to be a voice in your ear, so does the rest of the staff, to be able to help you say no to some of the things that are going to poison you and help you say yes to some of the things that God is pulling you to that will help you flourish. I want that so badly for you. That's why I keep doing this year after year. Well, our, uh, specifically tonight, we're going to take a look at Isaiah, who is a prophet. And before I get to him, I, I just need to do, get some nerdy stuff out there, okay? Because, if you're, again, if you're not super familiar with the Bible, in the Old Testament, for the Jewish people there were often three offices of authority that that mattered a lot in their world. So one would be the king, who was the political authority. One would be the high priest, who was like the highest religious authority. But then off on the side, there were these weird dudes, or sometimes there there were women, the prophetesses too. And they were these people that God chose to anoint, kind of these rogue, random people, that he would be like, you are going to be a messenger for me too. 
And so, some, and sometimes there was crossover between those three offices where you could have a prophet who was also a priest, but usually those three were separate. And Isaiah was one, was one of the prophets. So when I say the word prophet, maybe you think of like fortune teller of like, oh, it's this, it's this guy's job to tell the future. Uh, no, I mean, yes, but no, they did that, but that wasn't their primary directive. Sometimes uh, uh, Bible scholars will talk about foretelling, which is like telling the future, versus forthtelling, which is basically like sharing truth. So usually a, a prophet would be someone that God would say, hey, I have a message for the people and I'm going to have you deliver it. And by the way, usually they were not popular messages. Usually they were not like, hey, everybody, things are going great. Keep on doing what you're doing. Like, that's not what God sent prophets to do. Usually it would be like, hey, you're worshiping the Canaanite gods, which includes child sacrifice, and that's not okay by me. You are not allowed to sacrifice your children like some of these other cultures are doing. Don't do that anymore. And if you do continue down this path, then this is going to happen to you. So God would send these prophets as warners to the people. And sometimes that did include foretelling the future, like forecasting what would happen in the future, but not always. So that's what the role of a prophet was, generally a a truth teller. And Isaiah was an important prophet. I mean, Isaiah 53, I'm going to jump ahead in his life for a second and then jump back. Isaiah 53 is some of the most beautiful scripture about Jesus. And this is 700 years before Jesus. So Isaiah is writing these words that Jesus wouldn't uh, be handsome. He basically said that Jesus would be a plain-looking person, that he wouldn't have a kind of beauty or majesty that attracted people to him, that he would be despised and rejected, verse 3, that he would bear our griefs and carry our sorrows, that he'd be pierced for our rebellion and crushed for our sins, that he'd be like a lamb led to slaughter, and that he wouldn't defend himself, that he'd be silent. That's verse 7. That he would be buried like a criminal but put in a rich man's grave, verse 9, which came to pass. And one, like a huge famous uh, scripture from Isaiah 53, verse 6. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. This is such beautiful scripture. It's a beautiful chapter. This is what Isaiah will write later. A God will use him to speak all kinds of prophetic words toward his people. But at the very beginning of his ministry as a prophet, there is this invitation that God gives that I want you to hear tonight. This is Isaiah's turning point. And it's weird, you guys. (laughs) It's super weird. But it happens in Isaiah 6. Isaiah experiences a vision that is so bizarre and unique that he has a hard time putting it into words for us. But this is what it is. It was in the year King Uzziah died, I'm in in Isaiah chapter 6, that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So that's like the back of God's robe. He's sitting on the throne. But can you imagine if I said, you know, like God was sitting here on the stage, but the train of his robe filled the quad? Like, that's the image that Isaiah is trying to give you right here. Just the expansive giantness of who God is. Attending him were mighty seraphim. Those are angels. Each having six wings. Okay, wait a minute. These are not like little chubby babies with bow and arrows. Like, these are, these are like monsters. 
each having six wings, and with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Do you, like, again, I think Isaiah's having a hard time putting this vision into to human language for us with just how vast and crazy it is. And then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed for I'm a sinful man and I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. And yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. And then one of the seraphim, again, those are the angels, flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. And he touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. And then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am. Send me beginning of Isaiah's ministry. God calls him like that. Now, why all the crazy language? Why the robe that fills the temple? Why the voices and the thresholds, the entire foundation of the temple shaking? Why is, again, I think like John writing Revelation, Isaiah is trying to take this vision and capture it in human words, and it's not easy to do. But the idea that he's trying to get across to you is holiness, God's bigness, his set-apartness, how righteous he is. I mean, there's a vision where it's like, he can't, did you notice? He can't even really stand to be in his presence. Woe is me, for I'm a person of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. There's this reaction to God's holiness, and honestly, you guys, we just don't, as I was trying to think of, of metaphors for holiness, it was hard because we just don't talk in that language all that often. All holy means is set apart. So let me give you a couple of examples. One, if you had a coffee cup and it got a big chip in it or something, I mean, it's an old coffee cup that you use for a while, you drink your coffee out of like a mug, you're going to throw it away because you can get another one for a dollar at Goodwill, okay? It just doesn't have that much value. It's common, all right? But if you had a coffee cup that if 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 you had a parent who passed away or a grandma who passed away and and that was something that was precious to her. She had her morning coffee in that coffee cup. And so you said, I would like that to be a part of my life too. So you take that coffee cup and you bring it to your apartment. That is holy to you. That is a different thing. As a matter of fact, if somebody comes to your house and is having coffee and they're like, hey, can I get a mug? You're not going to pick that one. That one doesn't come out for the guest. It's too holy for that. It's set apart. It's got a specific purpose. It has a different kind of value. All right. But holiness can be ascribed to people, too. And again, this is something we don't talk about a lot. But holiness is a a personal thing as well. Again, as I was trying to think of metaphors for this, I was like, when do we experience this kind of friction with with holiness with other people? So this is the best example I could come up with. I want you to imagine that you're going on a trip somewhere and you go to sit down like you're, you're getting on an airplane and you're walking down the aisle trying to remember your number, like your seat number of 17C, and you get there. And in 17B, there's a Catholic nun sitting next to you, okay? Full, she's wearing the habit, you know, dressed in black and white. She's sitting there, and, and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm seated next to the nun for this flight, okay? If for those of you who aren't familiar, there are some vows that a nun will take. I mean, purity is one of those. There's, there's purity of speech. There's purity of lifestyle. She won't get married. She won't have sex, okay? Does this change 
your choice of viewing options on that little TV screen that sits in front of you? I'm going to say it does. I'm going to guess if you have the option to view some movie that you know has a bunch of sex scenes in it, you ain't choosing it. Sitting next to the woman who has taken a vow of chastity next to you. And her dress reminds you of that. Why? Because there's a sense of holiness. And I'm, I'm really not making fun of it. I'm honoring that. Like there's a side of that that you look at and you say, I respect that. And I'm also a little bit convicted by that as you're looking through some of these movies that you might otherwise not think about and you're like, ha, 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 maybe, maybe not, maybe not that one. Because there's a sense of holiness that's in the seat next to you. Now, some of that can get weird. I'm going to ask you to take the weird part out of that because I'm not talking about religious pride. I'm talking about true holiness. If you are next to somebody who's really, really loving and, and kind, like you have those friends who are just so kind and it makes you feel convicted makes you feel like less of a kind human being. When you see them treated poorly and they treat somebody well back in return, there's some conviction that comes to you in that moment. And there's a sense of holiness. This, this person makes like, man, I would like to have that character trait the way that they have that character trait. And that's the sense of holiness. We understand that God, I mean, God is none on a plane times a billion, Okay. You don't quote me on that. I don't want, I don't want that to, be, to show up on social media, okay? First Samuel, but these scriptures are all over the place. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. God has a level of holiness and purity that is difficult for us to understand and fathom as human beings who are not that. Now, we are made in his image, so we can be holy too. But we are also fallen, And I feel that to my core, that I want to be good, but there's this other thing at work within me that feels like it's dragging me down. And Scripture talks about that all over the place. So what I want to look at first, and I'm not going to spend very long on this, is Isaiah's first response. Because what does he say first? He says, I shouldn't be here. I'm unclean. And that's a natural response to holiness. When you walk into the presence of a holy God and you look and you say, you know what? I don't measure up. God, I'm unclean. I shouldn't be here. You know, that's the exact same thing when Jesus does a miracle in front of Peter in Luke 5. That's his exact same response. Look it up. It's crazy. It's almost exactly the same. He, he does that miraculous catch of fish in front of Peter, who's a fisherman. And Peter knows that that was not normal. He knows it was a breach of natural law. He knows it was a miracle. And so he looks up at Jesus, who he now recognizes is divine. And he says, go away. Go away, because I'm a sinful man. Almost exactly the same thing that we see Isaiah do. I will tell you this. Confronted with a holy God, it's very normal to feel insecurity, shame, I'm not good enough. I shouldn't be here. I need purified. Just even fear. God doesn't want you to feel that way. But I have to tell you, sometimes maybe when you come into worship and you see some of those words on the screen and there's that conviction that it's like, oh, I don't belong here. Me too. Me too. I'm again, I'm going to get more into that next week. Not with Isaiah, but within a different biblical character. So I don't want to camp there too long. What I do want to tell you is this. I want you to notice how God solved the problem. God did not say, hey, Isaiah, go clean up your act. Come back when you are a man of clean lips. 
No, God's the one who solved the problem completely. So you come into that moment with a holy God where you feel convicted and you're like, you know what, I'm not worthy to be here. God, I believe, stands you up on your feet and says, you're right, child, but I've made you worthy to be here. I touched this coal to your lips. I prayed that as, as I was worshiping in the back, getting ready to come out here. I was like, man, God, would you touch my lips with that coal one more time? Make me worthy to speak your words one more time tonight. I feel that to my core. I don't want to stay there, though. I want you to look at his second response. Because his first response is to say, no, 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 I shouldn't be here. But his second response, when God says, I need a messenger, who will go for me? What does he say? He says, here am I, send me. And that's not common in the Bible, if you've done much reading on it. I mean, you've got stories like Moses. When God said, hey, Moses, I got a job for you. Do you know what Moses did? He was like, who are you? Literally says that back to God. Who are are you? What's your name? And then God answers him and he says, okay, well, who am I? I can't do that. And God answers that and he says, yeah, but I've got all these weaknesses. I can't speak very well and I don't do things. And God's like, I'll take care of that. And finally, after they like go back and forth and back and forth, Moses finally says to the God of the universe, please find someone else. I was like, I just don't want to do it. And it says that God's anger burned against him and he wrote, he, he, uh, uh, he brought up Aaron to work alongside Moses because Moses was so slow. You got Jonah who ran away. You got Abraham who tried to carve his own path. You got David who was predicted to do amazing things. And then uh, he, he slept with a woman who wasn't his wife and then uh, had her husband murdered. It's like all these different characters in Scripture. If you go to Hebrews 11, which is what we call like the Hall of Faith, it's like the Hall of Fame of Faith. Get it? I didn't make it up. Okay, it's dad joke. I didn't do it. Don't blame me. That's just what it is. Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith. If you look at each one of those, almost every one of them is a train wreck. You don't hear examples like Isaiah where God puts out the invitation and they say, send me. Let's light this candle. Let's do it, God. Whatever you want to do, I'm in. Do you remember any Office fans? Yeah. yeah okay. Do you remember, I'm going to lean on you for this one. Do you remember, there's a, I, I don't remember what episode, but, but basically there's this conversation where between Jim and Dwight or Pam or I don't know. But they say when, when Dwight, because Jim comes back to this all the time. When Dwight invites Jim to do anything, what is his response? Absolutely, I do. Hey, Jim, do you want to do this? And the response is always, absolutely, I do. Okay. I thought about that. I thought about that response to God because I feel like that's what's put out there between the God of the universe and Isaiah. Hey, Isaiah, do you want to do this? Absolutely, I do. Heck yes. Sign me up. Let's light this candle. You just don't see this very often in Scripture. There's one other person. There's one other person that you do see this from, and that's Mary. She has a very similar response. It's one of my favorites in Scripture, in Luke 1, which I didn't even realize this um, until I was was doing research for this talk tonight. But like uh, Isaiah 6 is what we're in tonight. Isaiah 7.14 is the verse where Isaiah prophesies a virgin will be with child and, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He prophesied that 700 years before Jesus. And Luke 1 is the fulfillment of that. So Mary's minding her own business, and she has this five-year plan, 
and she's dating Joseph, and things are looking pretty good. And an angel shows up out of nowhere, splits the sky open, and says, you've been chosen. The God of the universe wants to do this thing. What was her reaction? Well, initially, much like Isaiah, she was terrified. I mean, an angel splits the sky open. That tends to happen, right? Okay, but when she gets past that, the angel says, you have been chosen to carry the Messiah of the world. And you know what her response is? Let it be just as you have said. Man, that's good. Let me repeat it if you didn't hear it. This is Mary's response. Let it be just as you have said. Sometimes people will call that Mary's great yes or Mary's great let it be. And I think it's so beautiful. Imagine the God of the universe showing up to you and saying, hey, I have this plan that I think you could lean into. And you get to say, let it be. Let it be, God, just as you have said. Paul McCartney wrote a song. You familiar? I want you to hear just a verse in the chorus sung by somebody else. Different arrangement I I heard this morning and couldn't not play for you. But just listen to this. Isn't that good? Paul McCartney said this was not about Mary, mother of Jesus. I don't believe him. I really legitimately don't believe him. I believe that he wrote this about uh, Mary, mother of Jesus, and then he was scared it would become too religious of a song. (laughs) And so he said it was about his own mom. Okay? It wasn't. This is 100% about Mary, mother of Jesus, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Let it be just as you have said, God. Let me tell you something about turning points. They will always involve risk. They likely will come at unexpected times for you. And the answer is yes, when it's God who's the one who's asking. You also don't tend to know their turning points until after them. I certainly, the examples that I gave you on the front end tonight, I did not know were happening in real time when they were happening. But when God taps you on the shoulder and nudges you, you listen to that cause. Now, if you're paying attention tonight, some of you might be like, Ben, the examples that you just gave us are are the prophet Isaiah, who's like one of the, the most amazing prophets of all human history, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was invited to carry a child as a virgin. Those are crazy. I mean, those are huge. Those are Those are the meta events in human history from a spiritual perspective. Do you really think God's going to come to me and ask me to do that? No, not that. Something different. And I'll tell you this. God's yeses usually start small. And small yeses lead to big yeses in in ways that you don't understand. 
And there's this principle, I don't have the time to give you all the scriptures, but Jesus told enough stories that I could, I could fill an entire sermon just with this idea. If you are given a little and you are faithful with a little, more will be given to you. That's the perspective. I heard a story on NPR years ago. They were doing a study. Um, this, this woman did research on heroes. She was super interested in the difference between uh, you know, a person who would run into a fire versus the 500 people that were running away from a fire. She's like, what leads a person to do that? Fascinated by it. So she did this study on like 1,200 different heroes. If I remember, it's been so long I couldn't find it again. So I'm just, I'm giving this to you by memory. But she said, so they were looking at their family background, their religious background. Could they find a difference in these people who would just choose to automatically to put their lives in danger versus what the crowd was doing. And she said over and over and over again, this was the language that we heard. Oh, I just did what anybody would do in that situation. And they'd be like, everyone else was running away. That is, that's humble and it's great to say, but it's not true. Everyone else was running the opposite direction. And she said it was a super frustrating study because really they didn't find anything. There were no cultural similarities. There were no religious similarities. All of the markers that they were trying to identify. And so in the interview, they said, you didn't find anything? She said, we did find one thing that we thought was noteworthy in studying all of these people. And that was that all of them lived lives that she said that I would call involved self-sacrificing decisions every day. In other words, they were the last in line for meals. They put their kids ahead of themselves. In all of these, she said, she said, my theory, though I can't prove it from the data, but just anecdotally from all the people, it seemed like these people who made tiny self-sacrificing, self-sacrificing decisions every day, when the chips were down, there was just so much practice with self-sacrifice, they couldn't do anything else. As, they matter, as a matter of fact, they thought there wasn't an alternative. I had to run into that fire. How could I not? I think that's the way the kingdom of God works. I think God gives you a million turning points in tiny forms all of the time and gives you the ability to lean in and take the risk and do it. And so I'm telling you, and I'm not, I don't want to project what those are on you because I want you to pray and I want you to ask God to help make you aware of what those things could be. But just an invitation to a small group of taking that risk could become a turning point for you. I don't know. You don't either till you walk through it. You choosing to have a conversation that goes outside your comfort zone. You choosing to lean in or to lean away. When you hear an invitation and you, you say, I know that, that, I know that that's the easy path right now, but in the long run, that will be poison to me. That's a turning point that God will use. Practice the small ones, small turning points lead to big turning points. There was a quote by uh, Frederick Beekner that stood out to me this week too. It just says, go where your best prayers take you. Go where your best prayers take you. You guys, I want you to have the kind of an experience this year where you saying yes to the things that matter allow you to look back on the year and be like, I can't believe the mountain that God brought me up this year. I am tired of talking to juniors who gave up their freshman and their sophomore years to whatever easy path came to them. And they come fried as juniors and say, I can't do it anymore. I can't live in that bankrupt space. I can't do parties every weekend anymore and drink myself into a stupor and hate myself the next morning. I can't do it. I can't be used by one more person sexually. I feel so empty. I can't do that anymore. 
I can't battle this, this, this addiction with pornography on my own. I can't do it anymore. Last year, you guys, we watched people have freedom from all of that crap, that filth, the stuff that's just an anchor on your soul that weighs you down. And every day, God hands you these little turning points that says, no, 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 no. There's a different path. And you get to choose how you respond. So I'm telling you, follow the example of Isaiah when God says, hey, this campus is lost, who can I send? And you can be like, here I am. Send me, Lord. When God leans into you like Mary and says, I want to change the world, what do you want to do? And you can say, let it be. Let it be, just as you have said, I'm here, I'm ready. Now, can I tell you that you will change the world like that? No, what I can tell you is that God has that ability to use you to change the world like that. I don't think you can manipulate it with your own two hands, but multiplied through his Holy Spirit, you guys, what could he do on this campus, in this state, in this world? Jesus flipped the world upside down with 12 dudes. He had 12. Look around you. You got a lot more than 12. And this campus has a lot of lost, lonely people that need the love of Christ. So send us, right? Yeah. So friends, the encouragement is to say yes. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, do something we cannot do. Bring revival on this campus in a way we can't manipulate. Do something in us, Jesus, that we couldn't have created on our own. And we'll continue to sing and to love and to serve the way you've asked us to do. All of this, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Go and stand up. Thanks for listening. Find out more about Encounter and ways to get involved at isuencounter.org.